This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's a new way to lead off your Sunday with conversation, unique perspectives, and your thoughts and questions on the Hometown Nine. It's Twins Today. One-two, he struck him out swinging. A fastball at 93, ends Cabrera's at bat, and Duffy with a sharp one-two-three, eighth inning. I would rather be labeled as someone who can really spin a breaking ball, throw a good fastball without any help. Twins Today is driven by the Mauer Auto Group. More than cars. Well, I'm 75 now, so that I'll probably hit about 280, <laughs> you know, but... Yeah, it was a great question. I caught you tolling off your pits, didn't I? And I said, yes, sir, you sure did. <laughs> now, live from Target Field, here is Derek Wetmore. Well, good morning, Twins fans. Great to be with you on this sunny Saturday. Sunday, excuse me, at Target Field. Just living the nostalgia of the 1991 World Series reunion that took place yesterday at Target Field. This is Twins Today, driven by the Mauer Auto Group, more than cars, and I am your host, Derek Wetmore, hanging out in the press box here, again, on 91 Memory Tour Weekend here at Target Field. We'll get into that in this show. It's going to have a, a heavy 1991 World Series influence. A little later on, we are going to talk with one of the, in my opinion, unsung heroes of that team. He is Carl Willis, current Cleveland pitching coach, but of course pitched three meaningful innings in that game six to send it to a game seven, and obviously six was Kirby's game, and we all know seven belonged to Blackjack. Uh, We'll get into that sort of conversation on today's show. Just a fun weekend at Target Field here, remembering that World Series. We're going to start the show with five thoughts. We're also going back to the future with a little radio revisit from Mike Petriello, our buddy at MLB.com. Paul Molitor joins the show, former AL Manager of the Year and Baseball Hall of Famer, sits down for a chat Oh, right around 10.30, set your watches accordingly. We're also going to talk with Joe Ryan. He came over to the Twins in the Nelson Cruz trade from the Rays, but he hasn't pitched in the Twins organization yet because he was busy winning a silver medal in Tokyo with Team USA. Joe Ryan joins the program a little later before throwing out the first pitch the ceremonial first pitch at Target Field today. You, you got to wonder, though, how much longer before he throws out the actual first pitch at Target Field? We'll have to wait and see. As I mentioned, Carl Willis starts off the uh, second hour of the show, and then we're going to hear uh, from a member of the Twins organization on uh, an important drive going on this week. Stay tuned for that. And a good friend of mine, mentor and uh, big baseball influence in my life, Patrick Royce will join the show to close things out for us. So again, set your watches to all of that. Or you know what? Just hang out with us here. 10 a.m. to noon is this show, Twins Today. It all leads up to Inside Twins, where Rocco Baldelli joins Chris Atterbury, doing a great job on the calls this weekend for the special weekend with uh, the Dazzle Man Dan Gladden downstairs hanging out with his buddies. That goes into the Adana Realty pregame lineup card with Rusty Kath and, of course, 
It's all building up to first pitch, Twins and Rays. It's the rubber match. Twins with a chance to win the third consecutive series against a first-place ball club. Charlie Barnes will try to get it started on the right foot for the Twins against Luis Patino. But we will begin here with Five Thoughts. Five Thoughts goes deeper on some of the thoughts of the week. If you watched every pitch, we're going to try to go a little bit deeper. If you're just catching up, you're just reveling in this glory of 1991 and want a little bit more baseball in your life, we got you covered too. That is what Five Thoughts is for, and we begin with a weird sighting at Target Field. Number one. Cruz on loads. There's an extra base hit. Take a lap, Nelson Cruz. Welcome back to Target Field. The sound you hear in the background, a round of applause and a standing ovation from the denizens of Target Field for Nelson Cruz. Nelly will salute the fans as Big Mike steps off to let him have his moment. Uh, it's weird. Uh, I feel weird. Um, I got a chance to wake up this morning and watch the field from my hotel at the same time just uh, good moments good memories come from uh to watching the stadium from far away and to be able to come here and uh, see my ex-teammates definitely weird i mean normally when you got you got to stick to see your ex-teammates you gotta wait a year around to see them you know uh maybe in spring training after your season uh but it has been a short turnaround to be back and see them it's always nice to see um familiar faces Nice to see familiar faces unless they're hitting home runs against you. Uh, Nelson Cruz does it again. He goes deep against the Twins. He's got five homers in a Rays uniform. The bat not quite off to the blistering start you might have expected, but uh, stick around. He'll get hot and as that team kind of battles for the postseason. Definitely weird. Definitely wanted to take an opportunity, though, to tip a cap to Nelson Cruz this weekend. He didn't have to wait long to see his old friends and teammates, and I didn't have to wait long to uh, tip my cap again because I said goodbye on five thoughts. And here we are just a couple weeks later. Nelson Cruz in a Rays uniform. Yeah, it looks a little weird. We'll get used to it. A guy who's taken the lion's share of the at-bats at DH since Cruz left, he's sure taken advantage of it. Number two. Pitch from Maeda. This ball in the air left field. Worker chasing it into the corner. Still on the move. Dives and he makes the catch. Sliding headlong across the chalk line and into the barricade. Brent Rooker ends the inning with a beautiful diving catch in the left field corner. And Rooker unloads. Stay fair, Brent Rooker. That ball is gone. A titanic two-run shot, Brent Rooker. He homers for a second consecutive night, his sixth of the year, and Minnesota leads at 9 nothing. Yeah, it felt good um, overall. You know, I've had some success since being back up, and I've also learned a lot from the times and uh, when I haven't been as successful as I would have liked to. So, um, you know, my goal for the rest of the season, obviously, is, is to do as well as possible, but more than that, just to learn as much as I can um, about myself as a player and what I need to do to ultimately, you know, become the player that I want to be. Brent Rooker showing some pop in that bat. He's been the primary DH, although the Twins have moved that spot around since Nelson Cruz was traded. In the month of August, Rooker's only hitting 200, but he is showing a little bit of signs of slug. That big home run the other day, he had a double the off the sort of top of the center field wall out there back by the bullpens uh, to, to get his night going yesterday with a couple of extra base hits. And he's a guy, he's got, I would say, something to prove. This is just my personal opinion, but... You know, over the next six weeks, he's one of the guys that could really earn himself some keep for next year. I, I think the Twins love his bat just based on the minor league numbers that we've seen. They're uh, astonishing. It's a it's a powerful bat. He won the Triple Crown his final year in the SEC. And now 
it kind of is go time. He's dealt with some injuries. Let's see what he can put up the next six weeks. Do you pencil him in as the left fielder? Does he look like a DH to you for 2022? Brent Rooker, uh, chance to prove his spot in the 2022 lineup. He's one of the guys I'm watching closer than anybody the final six weeks of the season. Sp- speaking of uh, sort of auditioning for roles, how about this group, the uh, bullpen? Number three. One-two count. Here it comes. Fastball. Strike three called at 96. Delayed at the knees. Hernandez thought it was down. One-two pitch. Swing and a miss, and down he goes. Another change of 89 miles an hour. He's throwing it to righties and lefties. Manaya three batters, three strikeouts. Corey Provis on the call. Juan Manaya on the strikeouts. This note's about the bullpen. They're not ranking highly in Major League Baseball this full season. I'm being kind. Uh, they're ranked 26th with a 4.83 ERA Do all twins relievers. But since the start of August, it's only a couple weeks, they're mid-pack, 13th with a 3.59 ERA. And that's, of course, without the best reliever of the bunch, Taylor Rogers, and it's led by Juan Manaya. He's got a 3.09 ERA since the All-Star break. Caleb Thielbar's also given him some good innings. Um... Juan Manaya showing strikeout potential is interesting. Uh, he's got a more than a 38% strikeout rate. And again, a small sample size. So I'm curious to see which arms emerge over the next six weeks. I'll stop short of saying that the Twins have found all the answers they need to for next year. I don't think that they have. But Taylor Rogers is a great place to start. And it's uh, basically audition time in my perspective for a lot of guys that are throwing meaningful innings for them. You might not think they're meaningful for the Twins in terms of postseason representation, but in terms of what do you have against big leaguers and can we count on you for 2022? Yeah, a lot of guys have an opportunity to prove something here the rest of the way. So that's something I'm watching closely. Another note on relievers, as long as the Rays and, uh, oh, former, an old uh, Twins friend are in town this weekend. Number four. Well, Matt Whistler, former Twin, going to take over here. And this ball is bounded towards short, picked up by Franco. Goes to Lau for one relay to first in time, double play, inning over. And Matt Whistler slams the door on his old club. Matt Whistler comes in and gets an important ground ball double play against the Twins. And I'm not saying this is one that got away. But I want to make this point that relievers are weird. Building bullpens is hard, and the Twins have their work cut out for them, no doubt, going into 2022. I mentioned this nice little run they're on. That's great, but, you know, you look at the body of work, and it leaves something to be desired. Matt Whistler with the Twins in 2020, 107 ERA in his 25 innings with a huge strikeout rate. Then he goes to the Giants this year. Uh, the Twins didn't bring him back, and he had a 6.05 ERA with one of the best teams in baseball. In 19 innings, go figure. Well, they trade him to the Rays, and he's just back to his old ways. A 2 ERA in 27 innings with Tampa Bay. Um, up and down, it's it's wild, it's weird, it's hard to peg relievers. I read a great piece in Fangraphs, though, that you can check out if you're curious. Some of the small tweaks he's made. He basically just made a minor adjustment to his slider, and the Rays are basically using him against hitters who have a hard time hitting sliders. Go figure. It's uh, worked out really well for him and for them so far. And here's hoping that the Twins have more of those sort of uncovered gems in their toe next year as we get the season rolling. But of course, we can't do five thoughts this weekend without talking about uh, that magical memory. Number five. Here's the set. And his first pitch to Larkin. Swung on. There it is. A long fly ball into left center field. 
and it is going to be a hit for Gene Larkin. Gladden scores, and once again, the Minnesota Twins are baseball's world champions for the second time in five years. It's the world champion, Minnesota Twins, and the crowd loves it. They sure did. They sure do. Twins fans loving it this weekend. I was at the game yesterday when they did the pregame ceremony, remembering all those guys walking in from left center field. You had, gosh, I, the list just goes on and on. Just about everybody in town. Of course, we've lost a few along the way, and so there were some sad moments as well, but mostly just a happy ceremony and fun to see all of those people together in one place at Target Field celebrating that TK throwing out a, a meaningful first pitch at Target Field. This show's loaded with that stuff. We are going to talk with Carl Willis a little later on. My chat with Paul Molitor is coming up. A radio revisit talks about the 91 World Series next. That's what you're going to hear. And then Patrick Royce, uh, very well equipped to talk about baseball history in this town. That's all coming up later on this show. And we, we wouldn't... Uh, do it any other way than to start with a radio revisit back to the future next talking about the 91 world series reunion here on twins today you're listening to news talk 830 wcco welcome back twins today driven by the mauer auto group more than cars i am your host Derek wetmore and it is 91 Memory weekend here at Target Field as we look back on that magical World Series run for the Minnesota Twins 30 years ago this year. A lot of familiar faces in town to celebrate this. I'm chatting with, uh, well, current Cleveland pitching coach, but former Twins pitcher, more importantly, Big Train. Carl Willis joins the show a little bit later. We're going to talk with Patrick Royce about his memories of the 91 team as well. But, I mean, Jack Morris... Kent Herbeck, Chili Davis, Junior Ortiz, Gene Larkin, Al Newman. I saw a whole bunch of people from that 1991 World Series team there. Most of them, anyways, are back here this weekend to celebrate that. And uh, in light of that, we are going to do a little bit of radio revisit here. We usually, the second segment of the show is a radio revisit where we look back on the week. We'll do some of that. We're also going to do some trickery here, look back to the future of a call coming up. It's Mike Petriello from MLB.com. He takes an analytics lens looking at that 1991 World Series team with Chris Atterbury. That conversation is next. Mike, it's great to chat with you. And I want to start today behind home plate with the Twins catchers. Ryan Jeffers, Mitch Garver have figured out a way to coexist to both swing the bat really well here for Minnesota. It's a bright spot in what has been a bit of a dreary year. Now, you were all on board with Garver last year, and then he had the injury-riddled campaign and didn't produce the way certainly he felt he was capable of. Uh, he seems to be back. Do the numbers back that up? You know, it sure seems that way. When he had that breakout in 2019, the first thing that stood out to me that year was what he did against fastballs. I remember writing about it at the time saying, this wasn't just a good fastball hitting year. This is one of the best fastball hitting years on record. And if you look at the slugging percentage against fastballs that year, he slugged 829 against them. Last year, not so good. 359. Everybody knows that year was a write-off. This year, he's back up to 747 against fastballs. And that's one of the things I look at when you try to get beyond the numbers and skill a little bit. You know, is the bat speed there? Is he able to catch up with the velocity? 
that's what we've seen so far. You know, since he came back from being injured, nine hits, seven of them for extra base hits. You know, he's been 44% above average in the last 30 days, low batting average, but really he's crushing the ball. In 2019, he and Jason Castro were a great tandem. Expected that this year. Ryan Jeffers said early in the year, look, I needed to go to AAA and just play every day to find my swing. He has figured out a way to maintain his swing. So it's the rare circumstance in the big leagues these days where when Mitch sits, the offense hasn't been dropping off that much with Ryan. No, not at all. You look at the last month, they are the second best hitting duo among catchers behind only the Dodgers. And it's mostly power. They're only 17th in on-base percentage, but mm-hmm. third best in slugging. And as you mentioned with Jeffers, like you're trying to find bright spots from the season. And if he can come out of this saying, okay, I've gotten my feet wet. I had to go down. I've come back up. And you bring that into next year. That's pretty good because when these two guys are both working, there aren't very many better catching duos. There's one of the bright spots and we'll continue to watch them evolve over the course of the year. Now, Mike traveling this week. So we pre-recorded this one and fittingly we did so over the course of a weekend in which the twins are celebrating the 1991 world series champions. And why you might ask, is that fitting? Well, Mike, back in 1991, I don't think teams were really looking at uh, numbers and fans certainly were not uh, accessing information in terms of evaluating teams and players the way we do today. Your job did not exist. And now we have a chance to kind of go back and say, okay, that was the best team in baseball in 1991. What would they look like through a modern lens? Did you dig up anything interesting that surprised you? You know, I think I did. The first thing I did was I just quickly looked at the 91 twins compared to the 87 twins and the 91 team was objectively better. They scored 10 more, uh, won 10 more games. They scored a similar amount of runs, but they allowed 154 fewer. And when you look at the lineup, a couple of interesting things stood out. They had the lowest strikeout rate in baseball that year, the highest on base percentage, the second highest slugging percentage. Those are numbers that maybe existed at the time, but weren't as valued as much as they were today. And you think about that team and part of what you think about is they were an aggressive team, right? They were tied in first with the highest percentage of extra bases taken. When there was an opportunity to take the extra base, they were tied for first at doing it. And when I looked at the individual leaders that year, I found this really interesting. First was Sean Dunstan, second was Luis Polonia, and third that year, Dan Gladden, tied with, of all people, Ken Griffey Jr. So the next time you see Dan, you can say, hey, you were tied with Ken Griffey Jr. or something. And he would tell me... <laughs> I was better than Ken Griffey Jr. because he didn't get a hustle double that won the World Series in Game 7. So I would put him uh, uh, winning the tie with uh, with Jr. in that respect. Uh, the numbers about the strikeouts are fascinating because I don't think people focused. Uh, nobody struck out as much back then, right? But I don't think people were like cognizant of, oh, we don't strike out and our on-base percentage is the highest. I think people were probably still looking more at counting numbers generally. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, especially not strikeout percentage. Maybe they were looking at K per nine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at the league average back then, it was less than half of what it is now. It was a completely different game. Everybody knows Chili Davis had a monster year. Everybody knows that Kirby Puckett was Kirby Puckett. Ken Herbeck will always be a legend around here. You mentioned Danny, but you found a guy that surprised you in terms of how he would be uh, received and valued in 2021 versus maybe the perception of him 30 years ago. That's right. I was like looking at guys and thinking, how might they have been thought of today? Like Joe Morgan, Hall of Famer is a guy who would have been way more valuable today for his skills. And my favorite guy in the 91 Twins was a guy who did not make the All-Star team, never once in his career got an MVP vote. And that's Shane Mack. You know, he was the number 11 pick overall in 1984. He was a rule five guy for the Twins. And yeah, he hit 310 that year. And I think that would have been valuable. But you look at his career, never hit more than 18 homers, never had more than 75 RBIs. But when you look at 1991, a 363 on base, a 529 slugging. OPS plus didn't exist that year, but if it did, 
he'd have had a 140. That's 40% wow. better than average. And if you go back and you look at his entire Twins career from 1990 to 1994, he had the exact same OPS plus as Tony Gwynn and Ryan Sandberg those years, a 130 that was top 30 in baseball for guys with as many plate appearances as he got. And we never really thought about him that way. Not even one down ballot MVP vote for Shane Mack. Well, when you think about it, you, he's not the guy that comes to the top of mind when you think about that club. I mean, the guys I listed off and uh, some of the other figures get the lion's share of the attention. But you talk about 40 percent better than league average. That is pretty dang good. And if he's going to be maybe your fifth option when you start thinking about a club. Yeah, no wonder you won the World Series, right? Yeah, for sure. Again, that year he was tied with Wade Boggs and Daryl Strawberry in terms of offensive value. And I guarantee you, when I was putting up posters in my room when I was a kid, I was 10 years old, I probably had Wade Boggs and Daryl Strawberry. I don't think I had Shane back. That's Mike Petriello talking with Chris Atterbury there about that great 91 club. I love that he brought up Shane Mack. Shane Mack, so underrated in the annals of Twins history. Uh, Didn't play here that long, so I get it. But, man, look back at some of his stats. Truly one of the better hitters. And uh, really kind of fun to hear Mike bring that up. I didn't know if he was going to get to Jack Morris. So I'll bring this one to you, dear listener. Game 7, we always talk now about the, and I'm not decrying it. I understand why pitchers don't go as deep into games. It makes perfect sense to me. But Jack Morris in game seven, we talk about that third time through the order penalty. Guys, you know, you get taken out of a game because hitters are better their third time against you. Here's Jack. Uh, third time through in game seven, they were one for nine. That one was a bunt single. The fourth time through, they were two for eight with an intentional walk, and he got a double play ball. The fifth time through, they were 0 for 2 in the top of the 10th, and then Dan Gladden and Gene Larkin did the rest. So fun to hear from Mike Petriello there on the 1991 World Series crew. And, uh, you know, we're just talking about Blackjack Hall of Famer. Uh, We're also kind of curious, not curious, This man is curious who's coming up next. I'm talking with a Baseball Hall of Famer, former AL Manager of the Year, one of my biggest baseball influences uh, in my life. Paul Molitor joins the show next. Don't go anywhere, Twins fans. This is Twins Today. You're listening to News Talk 830-WCCO. Welcome back to Twins Today, driven by the Mauer Auto Group. More than cars, I'm your host, Derek Wetmore with the distinct privilege to sit next to uh, a man who taught me as much about baseball as anybody. He is uh, AL Manager of the Year and World Series champion, Paul Molitor. Paul, how's it going? Yeah, hey, Derek. I appreciate you having me on. And I might as well say it on the air. When I was let go of my position, you made a point to come in and say that you really enjoyed some of our baseball discussions through the years, and you actually learned a few things, which surprised me, <laughs> but, that, but that was good to hear, and I appreciate it. Well, gosh, uh, you're going to make me blush here. Um, it's it's uh, always fun talking baseball with you, Paul, so I'm looking forward to the next 10 12 minutes here that we have together. The reason that you are sitting in this chair, I guess, is because you've come in for the 91 reunion stuff, uh, and you are doing the radio broadcast. So now you can add broadcaster to your uh, your resume as well. Well, you know, I actually had a little bit of experience. I, d- I did, uh, I think it was 50 games with Dick and Bert the year after I retired, and I filled in a couple other times along the way. But it's probably been, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years since I've done it. And I was flattered that they asked me to come in and do a couple of games. And 
Uh, you know, radio is a little different than television. Sure. But, you know, last night was a, a fun experience. The game didn't go particularly well for our club, but uh, enjoyed my interactions with Chris throughout the game. Well, favorite part of being a broadcaster, because when, when, when you and I had talked, our relationship for viewers or listeners, excuse me, who don't know, uh, exclusively from your time with the Twins as a coach and as a manager, didn't cross paths with you as a player, so right. maybe it's a little unique in that way. Uh, we'd always talk before a game or after a game about what just happened in the game, and and again, that's where I learned so much. But the radio broadcast is a little different deal because yeah. it's kind of in the moment as it goes. Anyway, a long way of getting to the well, question. What's your favorite part? Yeah, well, you know, I, I can't tell you exactly the favorite part of doing the radio. It's definitely different than television. There were a few plays last night, including a – uh, base hit where the Rays scored a couple of runs and Sano cut a ball off and the Rosarina was caught in between second and third. And try to explain that without the listener having the visual yeah. was challenging. Sure. So um, some of the differences, you try to be mindful of the fact that you are trying to portray a visual for someone who's not actually seeing the actual happenings of it and and that's a little bit of a challenge but the fun part is it makes you pay attention I think not having done it for a while last night you know your feeling of timing of watching and being respectful of Chris being the play-by-play guy and just getting a feel for the timing of when it interject that, mm-hmm. that was probably the biggest challenge of the night oh it's always fun to listen and hear that insight in real time uh, full disclosure I hope my radio bosses aren't listening I was watching on the TV and had you guys so <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd hear you guys talking about it. And you know there's a delay. I don't know if you knew this. It's about seven seconds or so. So I'd hear you and Chris breaking down the play and then get to see it come up on the TV. Well, but uh, that timing thing is an interesting component. I, I'm glad there's a seven-second delay in case there's any major <laughs> faux pas there. That's right. So. That's right. Uh, there's always somebody hovering over the dump button just in case just somebody in says case. something they shouldn't. Uh, so, Molly, for people who don't know, catch us up. Uh, what were you doing in 2019, 2020, since most Twins fans would have last heard from you? Yeah, well, we all had to endure uh, the pandemic, which is still ongoing, unfortunately. Uh, and it was my first year after managing for four years. So it was nice to take a break and, um, you know, just more family time and different things that helping out my son's little little league team sure. and all those kind of stuff. But, you know, the plan in two, 2020 was for me to get back in in a smaller role, and I was scheduled to be down in the Meyer League camp the latter stages of it and you know camps got closed and I never got down there and obviously there was no minor league season last year huh. so that never came into fruition but we rekindled those same discussions this past winter and I was able to get down to the minor league camp in in April for a few weeks and since that time I've had a chance to uh, get out and visit some of the affiliates uh, focusing on the top three with Cedar Rapids the high A club in Wichita and of course over in St. Paul. Before we jumped on here, you and I were talking just a little bit about the rule changes in the minor leagues. So having been to Wichita, having been to St. Paul, you've seen a few of them, but no doubt uh, as, a, as a student of the yeah. game and perpetual learner, you, you've heard about some of the other ones too. Molly, any that you're curious to well, see uh, experimented on more or maybe used in the big leagues? Well, you know, not to be too redundant from the multiple opinions out there, uh, everyone realizes that our game has become a little stagnant in terms of aesthetically pleasing, and we're trying to find ways to uh, maybe improve upon those those type of things. And I'm happy they've chosen to try to do some experimenting with different things. Some may be a little bit more gimmicky than others. Hmm. But, um, you know, in A. As of about a month ago, they're limiting uh, infielders' ability to go out on the outfield grass. They all have to be on the dirt. Two have to be 
on each side of of second base, and and, and it really it looks good to me, okay. you know. And I you know I'm not sure who's going to benefit more, whether it's a left-handed hitter with the right side with a, a man being held on in first and only one other defender on that side of the field. But, you know, it's just some of those things about getting hits. I'm not sure the percentages of singles compared to overall hits, but it's dropped dramatically. Yeah. It's all about damage and extra base hits and, of course, hitting the ball over the fence. Um, I've, seen the large, I've seen the largest bases over in St. Paul, and okay. it, it's a little funny at first, but you get used to it okay. quickly, and I, and I like it. it you know, the, the distance that it changes between bases is minimal, but it, it's also, for me, a, a, a nice little safety precaution at first base on some of those collision places. Sure. Um, strike zone. They're using robots at one of the levels, and I'm wondering if that's a foregone conclusion in the big leagues. Well, I, I've heard uh, conflicting opinions that some people are – all over it. They, they okay. love they love the concept. I mean, the umpires are scrutinized more than ever. We have so much technology to yeah. track pitches and the boxes that we see and where pitches are tracking and where they end up. And uh, I, I, my, my guess is it's going to come. Okay. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I would like it. Uh, I'm, I think they're still trying to perfect it a little bit from that pitch that maybe breaks the plane in the strike zone or the front of the plate and it, it maybe lands in the dirt just behind the plate and they're calling that pitch a strike. But, um, yeah, I, I think that might be coming. It'll be a, another transition. But as we've done with a lot of rule changes through the year, if it happens, eventually you adapt. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, <laughs> they, they oftentimes don't ask the players what they want necessarily. It's uh, here it is, here's what you're playing with, and same for coaches, I guess. Molly, is there one that you or a few that you think, I see what they're doing here, I really hope this doesn't happen in, in the big leagues? Uh, yeah, well, the, uh, I think it's in uh, one of the A-ball leagues where they're minimizing a pitcher's throw over to first base. And let's say you're allowed two per batter. You know, you gotta got to keep one in your pocket because sure, after you do sure. the second one, you're kind of, you know, so you're, you're, talking you're, the, the you're strapped rule. a little bit, right? They're, they're limiting the number of times you can go over to first base with a runner on. And I think it's if it's your third pickoff throw doesn't successfully get him out at first base, it's as good as a balk. It's, and they he goes down to second. They advance 90 feet. And huh. I appreciate you clarifying that because that's exactly the situation as far as holding runners. And they're and they're uh, they've disallowed a left-handed pitcher's ability to pick his leg up and throw to first base. And these guys have been trying to learn a good <laughs> left-handed move all their life yes. and now they're taken away and they got to step back off the rubber. Sure. And uh, some of those games have turned into track meets from what I've heard. Oh, really? Well, I mean I mean I suppose that was the intent, but you wonder what the level is. I, I've always told hey, you think rule changes might be cool and they might have this, but be careful about unintended consequences. Yeah, you know, some of the things about that, I, I they eliminated the fake to third throw to first pitch for the right-handed oh, pitcher. Oh, sure, the old little league pickoff. A handful of years back. I, I, I would like to see them eliminate the, the, the spin move to second base, okay. too. I, I just think that there's a lot of deception to that and probably curbs a, a base runner's aggressiveness to feel like he can maybe pick up those 90 feet. Yeah, and you were always a big proponent of that in all of our conversations, that those those 90 feet matter. And yeah, but it's hard to relay to people, but that over the course of a season, that multiplies. That's huge. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I'll have to say that that's changed somewhat, maybe not in my thinking, but in the game's thinking. The outs have become so much more valuable from the batter's box that the stolen bases are down. I saw somewhere where there's going to be a 1,000 less stolen bases than there was 10 years ago. Wow. So no, I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and, and you know, that's just a huge number. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I understand you got 27 outs and you want to use them, and, and a lot of clubs now are focusing on making sure they come from a batter's box than, you know, someone being overly aggressive on the bases. It used to be a risk-reward, and you'd sure. kind of measure circumstances, score, whatever the uh, situation might be. 
But now it's just more about risk. They, they don't yeah. really they don't really look at the reward. It's sure. just it's just the risk. Yeah, and the risk being almost the opportunity cost of taking the bat out of say Nelson Cruz's hand. Yeah, you, you know, maybe he'll get a fifth at bat and maybe he won't by mm-hmm. making two or three outs on the bases throughout the course of a game. Molly, your uh, roving instructor role is fascinating to me and I could uh, talk to you all day about Twins prospects, but I am going to give you some time before I ask you to evaluate the fir- the top 150 players in the uh, <laughs> in the minor league organization. So I'll just ask you, I heard in Friday's broadcast the uh, uh, minor league game, you called it uh, something like I'm paraphrasing, so forgive me, but the purest form of baseball, baseball in its purest form. Yeah. Uh, what did well, you mean by that? Why do you like the minor league game I, so much? You know that that wasn't a very accurate statement on my part. I, I I chose the word pure, and it was probably not the right word. What I'm saying is that when you know you first get into professional baseball and you're playing in these small towns, I mean we we just associate smaller communities and families coming out to ballparks and. These guys really haven't hit big paydays or anything. They're still hungry to climb the ladder and, and hopefully fulfill a dream of getting to the major leagues. And, uh, you know, you go to a ballpark, you know, down in you know, Cedar Rapids or when the yeah. Brewers or the Twins used to be in Beloit. Sure. And it, it was just a fun fun atmosphere. I, I think the purest form is probably watching, like, the Little League World Series okay, or sure. high school ball. I mean, that that's – that's where guys are, you know, just playing because they have the desire and a passion for the game. But uh, it's it's a different atmosphere and a different, you know, vibe. Maybe AAA is getting a little bit closer because those guys, a lot of them think they should be in the big leagues, and a lot of them are just hanging on as long as they can, you know. So, But there is something about minor league baseball that differentiates itself from the major league game. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, uh, good luck the rest of the season. Good luck on tonight's broadcast. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Good to be with you. Twins fans, that's the voice of Hall of Famer, former AL Manager of the Year, Paul Molitor. Stick around. We've got more baseball next here on Twins Today. You're listening to News Talk 830-WCCO. Called strike three on the corner. This bump, Joe Ryan gets his call right there. USA up next. Welcome back, Twins Today, driven by the Mauer Auto Group, more than cars. I'm your host, Derek Wetmore. That highlight there was of Team USA silver medalist and uh, future, uh, well, Twins prospect. He joins us on the phone now. He is Joe Ryan. Joe, thanks for taking some time for Twins today. Hey, great to be here. Great to great to finally be in the city as well. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you. So I understand you're throwing out the first pitch, uh, the ceremonial first pitch at Target Field today. You looking forward to that? Oh, boy. I, I did not know that I was doing that. I knew I was coming into uh... – to show the medal but that's exciting news um that'll be a good time so i'm excited well hey no pressure it's uh 60 feet six inches just like any other <laughs> get a little warm-up in yeah exactly right stretch it out maybe get a little long toss uh so you're coming back from tokyo and uh, i'm not gonna uh, beat around the bush i'm sure the jet lag is uh miserable what's been your experience since you've been back in the states with that silver medal around your neck oh it's been a, it's been pretty uh pretty quick turnaround i guess coming in and uh got a couple days in durham which was nice to just settle for a moment um got to got right back on my play catcher team it was a perfect shane boz who was uh my past teammate with the rays and my teammate with usa was we were on the same schedule so we were waking up at 3 a.m and like all right let's go get ready and go throw so we did our (laughs) throwing pretty early in the day and that was nice to just get the arm moving again but uh packing up the apartment getting the car shipped out Traveling through with five bags yesterday was uh, a little challenging, but we made it work and grateful to be here. 
Yeah, wow. I mean, I'm sure it's a whirlwind. Uh, we had Jessica Mendoza on the show last week talking about just her experience from the media side of things coming back from Tokyo. Uh, Twins fans, our guest is Joe Ryan. He joined the Twins organization in the Nelson Cruz trade. And if you weren't watching, I hope you were, if you weren't watching, he pitched Team USA to a silver medal, uh, pitch game one against Israel, and then also the semifinal against South Korea. Uh, Joe, just kind of a generic question, but... Pitching on the world stage, even though it's kind of weird with no fans in attendance, uh, was that moment meaningful for you when you're out on the mound? Are you able to sort of experience the weight of of how many people were uh, rooting for you there in those games? Yeah, definitely. I uh, usually I try to. Bl- I, I'm pretty good at blanking everything out and just getting into that flow state of being locked in in the game and just focused on each pitch, but. Um, I think the fans would have helped me a little bit more, uh, just the crowd noise or whatever. But since there's no fans there, and then you see all the media there, and um, I get the first game was the most nervous or excited, whatever whatever the emotions were, I, I didn't really know. I could definitely feel that uh, intensity though in the air. So that was an amazing experience, and I'm I'm glad I had that. I, you don't really get that feeling a whole lot um, in the minors, um, but it was it was amazing to. To get to put on that jersey, I mean, that's just a dream to get to wear USA across your chest. And then to be in Japan and playing, uh, I mean, they, they did an amazing job setting up the Olympics. So it was grateful that they were able to get that done in the circumstances. But um, everything was so smooth. Like, Japan handled that. I, I, could, I couldn't imagine picture a better a better setup with everything going on wow yeah cool cool to hear your firsthand scattering report from uh from on the grounds in tokyo i'm kind of curious i hadn't thought about this while i was watching you pitch joe but you are you know a well thought of pitching prospect you're doing it in the minors got some great numbers and tampa's a team with some aspirations Tell me, was there a moment or a conversation where you had to decide or your your org had to decide hey, it's okay to go pitch for Team USA right in the middle of the minor league season. I mean, I'm glad you had a phenomenal experience, it sounds like, but I'm curious, did you have to make that call to pitch for Team USA or or stay back and try to work your way to the big leagues? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I pitched pretty well the whole time, not to be too arrogant, but I pitched pretty well the whole time in, I've been in the, or I was in the race system, and um, I don't know if the, the two weeks difference would have changed much. Um, that's kind of how I looked at it. And sure. it wasn't really, uh, Hey, we're going to call you up to the big leagues. And if you go, then we're not going to, or anything like that. So, um, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity and, uh, I'd pitch for them for three years. So I, I felt like if two weeks is going to make a difference, two weeks is going to make a difference. So I'm going to go and, uh, represent the country and get put on that Jersey and go to the Olympics. It's a once in a lifetime experience. And, um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they were great to me the whole time, and so I, I love the Rays for that, and I always will respect them for that. But, um, no, it was it was great to be able to go and put on the USA and go play in the Olympics, and, hey, now I'm going – I'm here with the Twins and couldn't be more excited. Yeah. Um, and they've been great so far in communication and um, just setting everything up, so I'm excited to get in the field today and meet everyone in person. Love it. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really good – insight or perspective there on the situation that two weeks doesn't change a whole lot and look I don't I don't view it as being arrogant uh, the truth is just the truth you've got a good ERA at triple a Durham uh, 34 and a half percent strikeout rate keeping the walks down so um, I am fascinated to see you acclimate into this twins organization but 
Joe, before we talk about that, I'm I'm just always fascinated. Everybody's got a different story about when they were told they were traded, especially a club that drafted you. And you know, um, this is your life. You 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 have known the organization with the Rays, and then one day, I don't know if you get a phone call, an email, tell us how it works that says, hey, uh, Nelson Cruz is coming our way, and uh, for that, you know, that privilege, you're heading to Minnesota. What's that moment like for you, Joe? Yeah, it was pretty it was interesting, I think, leaving. Um, we kind of knew the whole year that some trade stuff was going to go down, so uh, in Durham, and... Uh, Leaving, it was Shane and I uh, were roommates here in Tokyo or over there in Tokyo as well. And um, we were in the food room that morning, 7 o'clock, and just had gone off the flight the night before. And um, Eric Talia with the Mariners came over and was like, hey, the Razor get some crews. And um, so Boz and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, oh, it's probably one of us. I mean, he's obviously an amazing player and has had an amazing career. So um, you're going to have to move a, a piece for that. And so – we, uh, I, I looked at my phone. I had a missed call from our general manager and um, letting me know that I was uh, I was that piece. So definitely um, a mix mix of emotions. Uh, it was pretty crazy, but um, I was excited fairly quickly just to be able to join the team and guys that the veteran guys Scott Cowsmere and David Robertson who know Rocco and have had nothing but great things to say about him. Tyler Austin spoke highly of his time here and. Um, so it was just, it, it made it a lot easier. And then I think the 20 days over there after that was, uh, it was like, Hey, I'm with another team right now and I'm going to join another team there. So, um, it was kind of like a, a, probably the best transition I could, I could look for. And, um, I'm grateful to join the twins now. Yeah. It's cool to hear, um, twins fans, Joe Ryan's our guest came to the twins in the Nelson Cruz trade alongside fellow pitcher, Drew Strotman, both of them having a good year at triple a Durham at the time of the trade. So now what? You you turn the page. You said you got a couple of days in Durham to sort of pack up your stuff and sort of transition just back to life in the States. Uh, and, and now you'll be at Target Field today. Joe, what's the plan in the immediate future for you? Uh, I'm just still trying to take it one day at a time, settle in. Um, I'm We got the day-to-day. It's going to be a great time. My mom flew in, so it'll be good to see her. Nice. And... Uh, Go enjoy the day at the field. Um, it's kind of cool the Rays are in town, so that'll be uh, interesting to see some of the, the buddies over there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, throwing a bullpen night, um, just getting some work in again, get off the mound. It's been a week, so that'll be fun. And then, uh, yeah, get into a game some point this week um, with St. Paul. And, um, yeah, just honestly try to slow, slow down again. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Yeah. Really just get into that groove and meet my teammates. I'm excited to meet everyone in St. Paul and say, say hi to Drew. It'll be good to see him over here. Uh, he's been telling me about it. He's really enjoyed his time so far. So um, it'll be great to see him and just kind of get set in, get back in the swing of, of the season and um, make a good push here. Yeah, well, we wish you well in the, the slowing it down. And uh, it's cool to hear you say so many glowing things and uh, scouting reports on the twins i i got a final question for you joe here before we let you go um this is more on the personal side uh heard tell me if i'm wrong here heard you you surf you've rock climbed you've mountain biked just kind of uh i don't know outdoorsy 
California guy. I grew up in the Bay Area originally. Uh, where do those activities fit into your schedule? I mean, in the seven-month grind of a baseball uh, season. I wish I could surf. That's probably the one thing. I, I, the mountain biking, I, I'd be too nervous on now with season and everything. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the surfing would be nice. That'd be that'd be the one great thing. But I heard there's a lot a lot of lakes over here. There's probably ten thousand of them to go to go explore, and I'll. Uh, maybe get a boat or someone do some wake surfing or someone has a boat. I, I'm not going to be buying a boat anytime soon, but uh, <laughs> yeah, should be, uh, I, I'm excited to be here and see all the greenery too. I mean, looks like there's a lot of stuff to do outside. Um, so maybe get some fishing in as well. I'd love to do that. Um, but in season, I mean, it's pretty much all baseball and preparation for me. Um, but yeah, if, if anyone has any recommendations in the area, I'd love to, hear more about it and i'm sure i'll get a, a whole list today in the, the coming year or so um but yeah it, in in the off season i like to enjoy my time outside nice well awesome well we do have more than ten thousand lakes but uh not a whole ton of surfing if i'm being honest i grew up here i've lived here most of my life stand-up paddleboarding might be the closest that Good i would wake. point you to Give me some wake surfing yeah, you could definitely get wake surfing. You get somebody with one of those boats that could uh, rip you behind. Uh, I probably wouldn't push it in season, Joe, but that's uh, that's up to your discretion. <laughs> yeah, all right. There you go. We'll see. We'll keep it slow. Awesome. Well, Joe, uh, best of luck as you transition into the Twins organization. Uh, we'll look for you in St. Paul this week and hopefully back at Target Field uh, before too much longer. Joe, thank you for taking some time for Twins today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, hope to see you soon. All right. Best of luck. Bye, Joe. That the voice of Joe Ryan. He becomes one of the top pitching prospects in the Twins organization following the Nelson Cruz trade to Tampa Bay. And as we played off the top of the show, definitely a little weird to see Nelly in a Rays uniform. But the Twins, uh, no doubt excited about the two arms they got back in Joe Ryan and Drew Strotman. Fun to hear from Joe there. Uh, yeah, I heard you he was uh, grew up just north of San Francisco, I want to say. Just Bay Area guy and uh, the mountain biking, um, surfing, that sort of thing. I didn't know if that was a true scattering report or if I would have to uh, run that one by the firsthand account. So fun catching up with Joe Ryan, and we wish him the best in the immediate future. Catch him, uh, I think, throwing out the first pitch of the ceremonial first pitch of the game today. So watch for that if you're at the game, Twins fans. Uh, that's it for hour one of this show, but hour two is locked and loaded. You know, our thanks to Joe Ryan and Paul Molitor for joining the show. And coming up, we are going to hear from the big train. Carl Willis joins us on the other side of this. I had a chance to catch up with Carl yesterday as the Twins 91 reunion tour was going on. Um, and then later on in the show, Pat Roycey joins. Don't go anywhere. That's hour two of Twins today here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Twins Today, driven by the Maurer Auto Group. More than cars. Once again, live from Target Field, here is Derek Wetmore. Okay, welcome back to Twins Today, driven by the Maurer Auto Group. More than cars. I'm your host, Derek Wetmore, with the pleasure of sitting down now with, well, current Cleveland pitching coach, but also 91 member here in 91 Memory Week, Carl Willis. Carl, thanks for taking some time to join the show. Thanks, Derek. My honor. Well, the honor is all mine, and uh, a lot of your teammates in here, we were just walking through the suite and saw a lot of familiar faces. Twins fans got to see that great ceremony on Saturday evening before the game. You got a big ovation walking out of Target Field. That wasn't lost on me that a Cleveland guy's getting claps at Target Field. What was that like? 
Well, you know what? I don't. Maybe uh, most people don't really realize that uh, I'm working for the enemy nowadays. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, I've been very blessed since my playing career ended to to stay in the game and and work at the major league level. But um, you know, when I first interviewed in Cleveland in 1997 with Mark Shapiro, who was then the farm director. Uh, I said, listen, I have to tell you one thing. I'll always be a Minnesota twin because if not for the twins, you wouldn't be talking with me now. And, uh, you know, I, I, I still uh, feel a lot of loyalty towards this organization and, and certainly have a lot of great memories. Yeah, no, that's really cool to hear. Uh, featured heavily in that uh, um, the Mark Guthrie handheld cam up on the scoreboard. It had to be cool to see with all your teammates around, too. You know what? It was awesome. Other than, uh, boy, that sweater. I'm gonna blame that on my wife. I cannot. I, I know it was 1991, hey, but even then, ago. even then, that sweater. It's no way it fit in. But uh, hey, it's all you know about good laughs. And at the time, you know, we we didn't care. We were just enjoying the ride, yeah. and uh, and we got a lot of good laughs out of it. It's no, fun. It's great. It was fun to see from an outsider's perspective too. And one of the things that that I personally is most excited to see here this weekend, uh, Tom Kelly such a big influence on this club. What can you say about the influence TK had on not just necessarily that clubhouse, but as a manager with control of that team? Well, I, I'll tell you, I, I am super excited to see all the guys and we all stay in touch um, as best we can. It's difficult, <clears throat> but, but really, I, I was so eager and looking forward to seeing TK. I haven't seen him in a number of years. Okay. Um, and, you know, I wanted him to know that his influence on me, um, you know, I was a pitcher, he's the manager, but but just how he held us all uh, accountable and held us, you know, to a certain standard and and wasn't afraid to, to you know, talk to uh, an all-star any differently than he would talk to a rookie. And... Uh, it, it just really made for a lot of camaraderie. It made us all pull that, that rope in one direction. And uh, it's been a big influence on, on my coaching career, and I wanted to thank you for that. Do you have a moment that uh, calls back to mind when you think about TK and you talk about the influence of talking to anybody? Um, a lot of Twins fans have heard great stories about TK and his time. Does any of them stand out to you in terms of, uh, boy, we might not have been where we were without his managerial influence? Well, I, I think, you know, I remember a game in Chicago. Uh, we had a player who, who didn't, uh, you know, run as hard as maybe he should have okay. the first base. Sure. And, uh, and you know, TK met him at the top of the dugout and, and took him out of the game. And he said, hey, if you don't feel like running today, uh, you know, we'll let somebody else play. And he pointed towards Puck and said, you know, he, he runs. Um, and, you know, it, it was a great example, yeah. I think. You know, to all of us, and, and 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 a lot of that credit goes to Puck as well because sure. he always did run. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. He, I I think my biggest um, thing about TK, um, when you came in the game from the bullpen as a reliever, um, you know, you knew the situation. You know, sometimes the bases are loaded, sometimes first and second, sometimes no one's on. He always had the same message, and it was do the best you can, and. You know, he didn't say, hey, we need a ground ball here. If this ball's hitting back to you, no, he got it second base. He just said, do the best you can. And I, and I always felt that that was almost a comfort because the fact is, if, if you give the effort to do the best you can, what more can you do? And, and what happens is somewhat out of your control. Sure. 
So um, it's something I've always remembered and, and always tried to um, kind of promote and, and, and give that message to, to guys who pitch for me. Yeah. Just do the best you can. Right. Well, that's great insight. Uh, Twins fans, if you're just joining us, Carl Willis is our guest, pitcher on the 91 team, obviously, as we remember the 30-year anniversary of that great World Series. Also, current uh, Cleveland pitching coach, but we'll say that part quietly. That's just, just fine. Uh, you talked about pitching with the game on the line, and TK sort of just... If I'm hearing you right, let you be a pro. You know, you're a professional pitcher. You can go out and do your job. Um, game six for you, pitching in the late innings with the game on the line, tight score, tight margin. Uh, for fans who remember that series very vividly, Carl, what is that actually like? It's one thing to watch it, be stressed about it secondhand, but you were on the mound there. What's that moment like? Uh, I, I will tell you the truth, and, it, and it's something, it's, it's like a moment you dream of as a kid to be in a situation like that. Um, I think, you know, one thing that, that fans sometimes don't realize, I mean, we are so routine-oriented, the players. Um, you know, the phone rings, your name's called, you, you go through this process of warming up, and, and, and your mind gets to a certain place, and, and certainly... The World Series, it's more pressure. You know, it's like, you know, when you're a rookie making your debut, it's a different feeling. Sure. Um, But I've thought about that moment because it's probably uh, that particular game and game one of the playoffs probably were the highlights of my career. And, you know, I don't know how it felt because I, I was so zoned in to, I guess, the task at hand, if you will, that... I'll never forget when it was over. It's like I, I, I could have told you every pitch I threw. I knew everything that happened. But the feeling, I have no idea. Huh. Because it was just in this zone of myself and the catcher and trying to execute. Um, unfortunately, you know, it worked out. Yeah, it did. And it's cool that to hear you say that because that sort of momentary awareness is something we're always trying to replicate, right? As yeah. If you're a player out there, you're trying to lock into that and so that segues perfectly into my in my next question and it's about blackjack as a uh, pitching genius if you don't mind the term uh, uh, just a great pitching mind yourself what was that like to watch jack morris's game seven performance for some people the best pitching performance in world series history yeah i think you know as you get older and you continue to see the game i know in my case <clears throat> It, it's the most competitive spirit I've ever been around in my life. I mean, obviously, you know, Jack had special stuff. Um, you know, he had that split that was devastating. But but 146 pitches, 0-0, zero, zero, you know, going to the bottom of the 10th inning. Um, and just to have that competitiveness and, and you know, bases loaded and mm-hmm. top of the 8th and you get out of it. I mean, you know, we talk a lot, you know, to our guys about, you know, how you compete. Yeah. And, it, and it's one thing that, you know, while you can't quantify it uh, with data, mm-hmm. everybody recognizes when a guy's a fighter and a competitor. And, and, um, and, it, and it's not really anything you can teach. And, and Jack certainly had that maybe as 
much as anyone I've ever been around. Yeah, wow. Uh, incredible, even just watching some of those backs sometimes to see that just going through it. I thought you might appreciate this because you're a, a pitcher, a pitching coach, excuse me, in the modern game where we talk about third time through the order penalty. And I, and I understand all the math behind that, so I'm not, uh, not uh, denigrating the strategy as an idea, but I did find it funny. Blackjack went through not only the third time, the fourth time, and into the fifth time through that lineup. Uh, Braves hitters were three for 20 with just an intentional walk, and they also grounded into a double play after the third time through the order. I thought that was pretty something something else. That is that is special, and again, it, it speaks to the competitiveness. I yeah. mean, the stuff, well, they've already seen all of it by right. then, right? So Where yeah, was the penalty? <laughs> exactly. It speaks volumes. And unfortunately, you know, the game's not played very much like that anymore, right. but, um, you know, uh, times change. Well, let me ask you because uh, this this wraps up kind of ties in from 1991 to current 2021, uh, 30 years already, and we do see a lot of this pitching philosophy evolving. To um, I think it's designed to protect arms, but also just a strategic component of. Um, yeah, if you only have to get a guy out twice, he hadn't seen maybe your third pitch or or hasn't seen the fastball in a different way. Um, Cleveland though. Typically, I haven't seen the numbers up to date for, for this year, but that typically goes deeper into games. Starting pitchers do. And I'm curious because they're also some of the best pitchers uh, uh, around the game, one of the best staffs. Chicken and egg question for you here. Maybe you're tired of answering this one already, Carl, but I'm, I'm kind of wondering, do those guys go deeper in games in the Cleveland rotation because they are good so they can? Or do they get better because you guys ask them to pitch deeper and ask them to learn more about their stuff late in ball games? I think it starts, Derek. I, I think they get to a certain point in the game because they are good. I, okay. I do. And and I think, you know, our organization and and because of, of how we have viewed a, a Shane Bieber, um, you know, Mike Clevenger when, when he was with the organization, um, you know, we feel like physically they can take it a little further. So I think, I think being good gets them to a certain point. I think giving them having the reins loosen a little bit and giving them an opportunity. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna see. I got through six. Let's see if I can get through the seventh here. Yeah. Well, it's not gonna be as easy, but yet they learn how to navigate that. They they learn how to do it and. Um, you know, so I, I, I think it, it's it's both um, both of them are factors in the equation, but um, certainly talent and and, and being good, yeah. um, you know, plays a big part in them being able to do that. Sure. Well, big train. Carl Willis has been our guest here on Twins Today, part of the '91 reunion. Uh, special weekend for Twins fans, and Carl, thank you for giving some time to Twins Today. Thanks very much, Derek. I enjoyed it. Twins Today, driven by the Mauer Auto Group, more than cars. I'm your host, Derek Wetmore, and as we do every week on this program, it's now time to catch up with Jeremy from the Mauer Auto Group. Jeremy, how's it going today? Today's going great. How are you? Good, thanks. Last week, Jeremy, we were talking about your own leasing options. Kind of curious to peel back the curtain on, you know, what are the car people leasing? And you shared with me, even though you're an old motorhead, you are leasing the Chevy Bolt. And I'm curious, how did you come to that decision for yourself, Jeremy? My wife and I were both the perfect Bolt owners as we don't have a long daily commute. We, we live in the town that we work in. So it works really, really good for us. 
I mean, the Bolt range is, you know, it's upwards of almost 300 miles. So there's plenty of miles to go. So for us, one charge lasts probably like over a week. But uh, even if someone does have a decent commute, it still works out. But yeah, it was just a perfect car for us. It's, you know, it's, we just, we joke around between ourselves that it's like driving a golf cart around town because it's just, it's so quiet. You just, it's so hard <laughs> to get used to it being so quiet. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure that's why you uh, ended up in one, Jeremy, on your current lease. And it got me thinking, people in the car industry, so I'm thinking some of your colleagues, people that you might work with on a daily basis at the Maurer Auto Group, you know, people who live this stuff up close and personal, what are they choosing? When you make that choice, you have to make that choice for your family. So, I mean, I, I would love to pick one of my colleagues and about three quarters of us are leasing our vehicles, but it's all the way from Blazers to Silverados, you know, they lease what meets their needs. And that's that's the beautiful thing about a lease is if your needs happen to change within the two or three years, you know, with the Mauer Auto Group, you have all of your maintenance covered anyways with the Lease Elite program. But if your needs happen to change in two or three years, you don't have that worry that, oh my gosh, is my vehicle worth what I owe on it or something like that? You come back in and say, hey, what's the next special? I need something bigger. I need something smaller. It's just, it's a really nice fixed payment way of living. Yeah. And we've talked about the lease elite program in the past at the Mauer Auto Group, Jeremy, but you just mentioned, I mean, three quarters of your colleagues or thereabout are, are on leases right now. Could you just give us an overview for listeners of Twins today? Yeah. The lease elite program in simplest terms, it covers all of your maintenance costs for the entire term of the lease. And we don't like to do leases over three years because then we're starting to get into where you have to pay for things. So your vehicle's under warranty, all your maintenance costs are covered. It's really such an easy way to own a vehicle. And the website, Jeremy, for people that would like to learn more or figure out where they can come meet you. Yeah, go to the MauerAutoGroup.com website. It's a new website we put up. It links to all three of the stores, whether you're in Invergrove Heights, whether you're up in North Metro and Anoka, or whether you're in between, you can click at all the dealerships, see all the inventories growing every day. There you go, Twins fans. You can find that MauerAutoGroup.com. And when I say every week on the show, more than cars, you can go and find out exactly what that means there at that website. Uh, Jeremy, uh, good catching up with you. Uh, again, we sincerely appreciate your support here on Twins Today and hope you have a great week. All right, you too. Thanks so much. Welcome back to Twins Today, driven by the Mauer Auto Group, More Than Cars. I'm your host, Derek Wetmore, and we've got the privilege of being joined now by Craig Gums. He's the Senior Manager of Season Business Retention and Service with the Minnesota Twins. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, man. It's a treat to talk to you, and it's an important time of year, which is why we're having you on. So thank you for carving out a little bit of time for us here. Um, tell me, as we get rolling here with the interview, why is this time of year so important for your team in season ticket holders? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Derek, we just launched our renewals for the 2022 season this week. And so obviously we're excited uh, to get things out and, uh, and start looking forward to the, to the 2022 campaign after uh, obviously the 2021 season when we've been able to welcome fans back into Target Field. Yeah, and a weird time for for baseball in general. I'm sure 2021 had its own challenges. As I look forward, Craig, uh, 2022 might have its challenges for you and your team as well. Tell me, and I hate to start the interview here, but just for the skeptical Twins fan who might be listening to this and, boy, not the season that uh, we were all expecting in 2021, 
A, what challenges does that bring to you? But B, how do you still make that value pitch to people looking to maybe get inv- involved in season tickets uh, coming off a bit of a down year for the Twins? Yeah, I think that's a, an extremely fair question, Derek. And it's it's certainly, you know, as we look at the 2021 season, you know, we don't hide from the fact that it was certainly disappointing on field for, for us. Um, you know, there were extremely high expectations for this team. I also think as we, you know, take things and, and maybe take a step back and, and maybe put things into perspective a little bit, our 2020 year was a, a season where fans couldn't be in the ballpark. And, you know, Target Field remains one of the most beautiful stadiums in all of Major League Baseball. And I've talked to so many fans this year that, yeah, would, would love to see some more wins on the field, um, but also are just excited to get back, you know, to, to come down to the stadium, to be able to, you know, bring their family out and enjoy a hot dog and a beer and, and, and watch the game in person versus, you know, so many things, obviously, uh, during this pandemic where people weren't able to, to participate in person. So it's just great to get fans back in the ballpark. We also are, are excited about 2022, quite honestly. You know, there's still a, a very talented nucleus of this team. We've got a lot of young players that are coming up and outside of, of the team performance, which we think is going to turn around next year. You know, again, this this remains one of the best atmospheres to come watch a ball game in. So I, I think there's still a lot of value in, in being a season ticket holder and all the benefits and, and opportunities that we extend to, to those individuals. Yeah, I sit up in the radio booth for the show, and I still contend that I have one of the best offices in America, and uh, that's because of Target Field. Uh, Craig, you are obviously intimately familiar with this stuff. And for listeners, if you're just joining us, Craig Gums is our guest right now. He's the Senior Manager of Season Business Retention and Service with the Minnesota Twins. You probably hear this often enough, Craig, that I'm sorry if you're sick of the question, but people hear season tickets and they think 81 games. I know the Twins have made a big push, especially in recent years, that that's not the only package. What other things are available for people who, you know, hey, yeah, I'd love to get out to Target Field, but I don't think I can commit to 81 games next summer. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I I appreciate you asking that. You know, we still have a, a lot of season ticket holders who do have full season tickets and find, you know, some share partners where, you know, people split up five, six games, they do a draft, they have some fun with it. And there's, you know, seven to, to 10 partners in that group. So we still do have a lot of individuals um, that get on board with our, our full season tickets and, and have a lot of fun with it. But as you mentioned, you know, we've made a push to, to introduce packages over the last couple of years that make it more flexible for families and uh, individuals to come out to the games Uh, One of our introductory packages is our our Flex 20 plan, which um, essentially is 20 vouchers that you can use throughout the year, Uh, whether you're coming to 10 games with two people, if you're coming to, you know, five games with four, or it's a mix and match. So it's essentially vouchers that can be redeemed. And as the package suggests, uh, the flexibility is, is really the key there. If you know a game two months ahead of time and you want to lock those tickets in and get the best seats available, you can do that. But if it happens to be, you know, a lovely day like today where you you decide, hey, let's bring the family down to the ballpark and it's a couple hours before the game, you can also redeem those vouchers day of and, and still get tickets. So it really offers fans the opportunity to stay within that that flexibility and build it around their their schedule, which we know can be be a challenge at times for people. 
Yeah, absolutely. I remember the commercial campaign from a couple of years ago about the flexibility, and that's just always stuck with me. So uh, good job, Twins Marketing folks on that one. I am curious, Craig, uh, you talk about uh, reserving priority as part of it, and you know you get to pick seats if you can look out far enough in advance for what other benefits are people getting? Because I know for some people like me, the baseball is the big perk, but I also know there, there are some sweeteners involved when you do sign up for more of a package deal as opposed to one game at a time sort of deal. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, the most exciting things for our 2022 season are some renewed benefits that, that specifically focus on individuals who do commit to, to more games. So for our full season ticket holders and our 40-game our plan holders, as well as our Flex 80 uh, plan holders, we're actually going to be offering a 20% discount off their mobile order for, for food and beverages. So that's up from, from 10% here during the 2021 season. Uh, also for our 20 game plan holders and our flex 40 plan holders, we're also increasing that discount uh, up to 15% off the, the mobile order food and beverages. So extending that offer and, and allowing individuals to, to take advantage. Obviously, we, we know that uh, if you're bringing your, your family down, uh, you know, you're going to be ordering, you know, your hot dogs and sodas and, and different things there. So it's great to be able to, to have that, that significant discount off uh, any food and beverages that you're purchasing. In addition, uh, for our full season ticket holders in the 2022 season, we're actually going to be rolling out a flexible ticket exchange program for any games that they may have missed. So again, understanding that uh, 81 games, there, there might be a, a scenario where a game or two is missed. We still want to be able to provide value to those full season ticket holders and allow them to take advantage of, of some exchanges there and, and be able to, to use our, our ticket platform there. So I'm pretty excited about rolling that out for the, the 2022 season. In addition, all season ticket holders are part of our Sweet Spot Benefit Program. And what our Sweet Spot Benefit Program is, is essentially a, an opportunity to add value and unique experiences throughout the season. So um, we have anything from, you know, chalk talks with, with uh, uh, former players, um, balcony events with some of our alumni. We've got a shopping spree at the, uh, the pro shop, um, you know, autograph sessions, uh, fantasy batting practice on the field. Just a lot of opportunities to take advantage of unique experiences that, that you're able to have with you know, friends and, and family and, and things that, quite frankly, you might talk about for, for years down the road. Craig, one of the things I've heard about, but I don't know more about, and I'm glad to have this opportunity to ask you sort of, uh, well, face-to-face is not quite the right term, but we are over Zoom and I am looking at your face. I am uh, talking about the wish list for that exact rewards program that you were just speaking on. What is the wish list? And maybe if you could give us uh, one that springs to your mind of a story of something that Twins fans were hoping to find with a rewards program like this. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in order to better understand our season ticket holders and what's most important to them, we asked them to fill out this wish specifically for our, our benefit program. And what that means is, you know, for a, a family of four, what's important to them and, and, and getting out of their season ticket holder experience is obviously going to be different than, say, a business that's bringing clients down to the game. So we want to know that and better understand it. So we asked them to essentially prioritize and share with us the benefits that, that are, are key to them. And then during the year when we have these opportunities, essentially we take uh, this wish list, we look at who you know raised their hand for specific benefits, 
And then that's how we allocate the, these benefits. And I'll use a great example just recently from this week. Uh, on Tuesday night, we had an alumni balcony viewing party with Kent Herbeck. And we get a, a select number of season ticket holders out on our, our balcony and we allow them to watch the game with Kent Herbeck. And before the game, I was chatting with one of our season ticket holders that has been with us since 1989. And um, she had brought down a bunch of photos and, and uh, things that, that she had taken from the 1991 World Series and was ecstatic to, to show these things to Kent. And I was flipping through the photo book and it was so cool to see just some of these pictures that, that she had taken, um, you know, some personal photographs. And uh, I, I kind of waited until Kent got over there. And it was so cool to see the interaction between Kent and the season ticket holder that's been with us. And these are photos he's obviously never seen. So he was, you know, was able to, to laugh about some things that were at the parade and some, some kind of candid shots there. So those are the sort of things. And, and this individual was, was just so excited to be able to meet Kent Herbeck, one of her favorite players of all time, and to provide that opportunity to watch a baseball game uh, with essentially their, their kind of childhood hero. So it was cool to be able to see that interaction. And those are the types of things that, that we fulfill on the, the wish list. The voice that you're listening to, Twins fans, is Craig Gums, Senior Manager of Season Business Retention and Service with the Minnesota Twins. Craig, know you're busy this time of year, so I sincerely appreciate you uh, taking some time. Thanks for coming on, Twins, today. Absolutely, Derek. Thanks again for having me. And, uh, you know, just for all the fans, our season ticket holders, uh, just a, a huge thank you for the continued support. Obviously, it, it's been uh, uh, just great to have fans back in the stadium, to have that energy there. And we look forward to, uh, to seeing the, the continued success here at, at Target Field. Literally couldn't do it without you. So we appreciate all that support as well. Hey, more baseball coming up after this. Keep it locked here on Twins Today. You're listening to News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Twins Today, driven by the Mauer Auto Group, more than cars. I'm your host, Derek Wetmore, and we won't waste any time with this one. Joining our next guest here on the 1991 reunion tour for that great World Series, he is none other than Patrick Royce. Pat, thanks for taking some time for Twins today. No problem, sir. I was uh, watching those players uh, walk in in uh, left field yesterday and lamenting all the great quotes that were walking across the field there, I was telling people. There were about 16 of those guys who were go-tos back then. There was a, It was quite a collection of human beings. They were pretty good dudes, I'll tell you that. Well, now, there were moments when I might have read a paragraph of mine that they didn't approve of. We had a little trouble here and there, but uh, for the most part, uh, great guys. I, I find that hard to believe, Patrick, that you might write something that one of those guys might not like. Who's Maybe somebody that we don't know. Obviously, people have heard from a lot of the stars from that era, Pat, but who was a great quote that uh, maybe got uh, lost to history? Randy Bush. Might be at the top of oh, my yeah? all-time great list. Yes, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, he was a great guy. Part of both of those teams, and uh, you know, just a just an absolute uh, gem of a guy. And he'd give you the good quote once. Uh, this went back earlier than '91, but uh, he told me the best, uh, the best, the greatest tribute I ever heard to Kirby Puckett. Their son, uh, Ryan, was approaching his second birthday and still having trouble getting potty trained. Hmm. 
and uh, they were, uh, you know, they were saying, well, Daddy does it this, you know, Daddy does this, Daddy does this, and uh, they weren't a uh, Ryan wasn't impressed. He was not impressed that this should be because Daddy did it. But then somebody had a brainstorm. Either Randy or his wife had a brainstorm and said, "Kirby does this," and uh, instantly, within about two days, the kid was the kid was potty, potty trained. So uh, he used the he found out he found out who his uh, son's favorite player was, and it wasn't him. It was Kirby. So. <laughs> I <laughs> uh, got nervous, Pat. I got to tell you, where's this story going? But that's a that's a great tribute, and obviously uh, Kirby, unfortunately, not able to be here for the '91 uh, reunion tour gone too soon, uh, 2006. But Pat, one thing I'm struck by: a little bit younger, and anytime I talk with people from that time as teammates, it just strikes me how universally well liked he was, and every Twins fan's favorite player from that time, from your perspective covering him, Pat. I mean, what is it that made Puck so popular? Short, chubby, smiling guy. He wasn't chubby at first, obviously, but I remember, well, he showed up in 84, so this had to be 85. And they had a kid's day out in right field in the Metronome. They had, like, Little League Day or something on a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon uh, like they used to have in the summer. And there had to be... uh, you know, it was full up there with little leaguers who got in for a buck or free or for whatever. And I decided to go out there and uh, do a Kirby uh, tribute, but base, base it on research. And I asked 50 of these kids out there, not all in the same row or the same group, but I, inter- I asked 50 of the kids, who is your favorite player? And it was 50 to zero. Kirby <laughs> Jeez. That is not a lie. 50 to zero. They all said he just, I think young kids saw something in themselves in him, you know, cause he was not tall and he was uh, always smiling. He was always happy. And, uh, I, 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 uh, you know, it just, and he was really good. Yeah. <laughs> that too. That too. But you know, uh, Remember when he first started off, he had four home runs that year, so he wasn't a slugger or anything. It was uh, it, even before he became a superstar with that team. He was uh, he had that reach out to the kids, man. Plus the name, don't you think? I yeah. Mean, if it was Bill Schwartz, it probably wouldn't have been <laughs> as you know. It probably, but Kirby. First of all, you had that lunatic Casey yelling Kirby pocket, and then uh, I mean. You couldn't go to a little league game, and uh, I remember my nephews playing baseball out in the kind of a they were in the behind a cul-de-sac over there and uh, on a street, and uh, the young one every time he hit a ball, Kirby Puckett hit it, you know, <laughs> yes, Kirby Puckett. So you know, five six years old, it was just uh, the name, the the. the, the stature the smile uh, the the loud personality yeah but uh he was the best ever at uh, the, uh what i remember more than more than anything is you could be at uh orlando or fort myers but particularly fort myers because the locker or the clubhouse there is bigger and opener and orlando was kind of a closed place that you there were lockers in the middle of the room, and it was you. When you walked in, 
it was not as obvious when you walk in, but I remember being there at 7.30 in the morning, 7.40 in the morning, and it was completely quiet, you know, or I mean, not quite, little small, quiet conversations. And he'd walk in and chaos would ensue. There would be barbs coming from all over and insults <laughs> flying and, uh, and uh, you know, it, it just immediately, Thirty feet in, all hell was breaking loose. <laughs> and uh, and the thing about him was, he was he was he was so much into that team agitation thing that guys with eighty eight on their back were teasing him about being short and fat, even oh, though sure. they were you know, and it didn't bother him. He'd have some insult back. Yeah. The other thing he did that was great team building was when they had the NCAA basketball pool which he ran and i think he'd get i think he got 50 ahead for it and uh and then he would start buying up the good teams afterwards he'd be giving guys 250 bucks for their if they got one of the good teams and there were times when he had a couple of thousand more invested than he actually could win (laughs) he was dedicated to winning the pool even if it cost him money. So wow, how's that for a competitive? It must have been a hundred ahead. It must have been a hundred ahead because there was thousands involved. I know that. So Pat Twins. He, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, but anyway, he ran the thing, and uh, it was uh, it was that was a big day in that clubhouse, man. That uh, the day yeah. that the pool was being ran. So. No kidding. Well, uh, obviously, Twins fans, Patrick Royce is our guest. That's the voice you're hearing, uh, reminiscing a little bit about that uh, World Series team and specifically about Kirby. Um, the Game 6 is legendary, Pat. The the catch, the home run, the whole deal, even the uh, quote that he allegedly uttered 50,000 times and then delivered in a very meaningful way. Um, but what was the mood going into that Game 6? That's what we always talk about, right? Game 6, then Jack Morris in Game 7. How was it going in to Game Six? Uh, you know, maybe unaware that this magic was in the very immediate future. Well, they were uh, virtually seven. Seven of them had been in the same situation uh, four years earlier. I don't think there was any pessimism ever when that team played in the Metrodome because uh, you know they were. Uh, now that team was better on the road. I mean, better on the road than they had been in uh, in '87. They were 29 and 52 on the road. And they won, and they won the World Series, but so that's how good they were in the dome. And they were they were still good in the dome. Now they did lose a playoff game in the dome, Game Two to Toronto, but uh, I, I don't think you could ever expect those guys, even though it wasn't the greatest pitching matchup in the in the cuz Scotty Erickson was having trouble with his elbow. Yeah. Uh so you know that they knew that was going to be a tough game but uh I don't think there's uh ever been a you know that team was never uh, in the 5 years probably from 87 to 91 they were never pessimistic when they played 92 actually was uh, you know they were really good in 92 too that yeah. they were ever pessimistic about playing in the dome. Because as Dick Such always said, the pitching coach, they had the Dome Gods in their favor. He believed in the Dome Gods. And uh, famous stories about uh, Suchy when they're hitting balls. Uh, you know, the, there's a famous story about some game that they won. Uh, 
that they wouldn't have won, but the ball hopped over the fence for a ground rule double, and the runner had to stop stop uh, at third base. And Sutsy supposedly yelled out, "Bounce, dome gods!" and the ball jumped into the seats. <laughs> and, uh, so they they I think we're all believers in the dome gods and uh, that they were they were destined to win in there. And of course, the, in '87, uh, I don't think they were that certain of themselves. And then Wayne, the great Wayne Hathaway, who you knew well, yeah. uh, showed up, uh, hadn't been there. He was working down in the instructional league or something. And he showed up wearing his red duster when they were stretching out in left field and uh, told them how horse bleep they were and how he knew they were going to choke. And, uh, and that loosened everybody up because they'd heard it before from him and they went out and got a bunch of runs and won that game so uh yeah i don't think they were ever lacked confidence playing in the dome uh Derek. well wayne hadaway uh his influence felt on that team big fella as everybody knew him and yes. it plays a little different in 2021 but i can picture uh you know a little minor leaguer slumping in the late 80s early 90s and he'd sidle up next to him on the bench coach uh, uh pat and say hey don't worry kid it ain't your fault it's the scout who signed you. Yeah, yeah, I remember he was. Uh, the, they are legendary. The uh, the Hathaway insults. Yes. I think every team. I think every team growing. All those guys had him in the minors. No one was so, spared. No, 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 nobody was spared. No, uh, he'd always. Uh, even if I'd lost a few in the winter, he'd always tell me how fat I'd gotten. Oh, okay, so it, was, uh, it was good too. Sure. Uh, Fair enough. Good. Well. And, uh, Anyway, he was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, that team was, uh, I think that actually was a better team than uh, 90, I think 87. Now 87 had Viola and Blylevin, and Scotty Erickson was, uh, wasn't, wasn't fully healthy in the playoffs. But for much of that season, you had uh, three uh, great starters and, uh, you know, Jack uh, Tappany and, and Scott Erickson, yeah. and you had Shane Mack. Shane Mack certainly that year was uh, every bit as good as Bruno was, and maybe better. And uh, you know, yeah, Gaetti was gone, but the platoon worked pretty well. Uh, uh, Leas and uh, Pagliarulo worked pretty well, and uh, Herbie was at the height of his skills, and Kirby was at the height of his skills, and uh, that was, I think, that was a. I think the teams they beat, Toronto and Atlanta, were better than the teams they beat in 87 because Detroit had won 98 games, but they were old. They were getting old. They looked old and tired against the Twins. Mm. And St. Louis had some injuries that made a difference. So well, that I Braves think they team. beat better teams in 91. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned a couple of the players who starred on some of those teams. Some of the guys were there for both of them. One guy who was uh, instrumental, I would say, in both of them, uh, Tom Kelly. And who better to ask about the influence that he had on that group than you, Pat? Can you tell uh, Twins fans, listeners of this show, boy, just the, the outsized impact that TK had on that group in 91? Well, they were his guys, you know, 87, 91. He had had uh, most of those, or a lot of those guys in the instruct, either in the Instructional League or at Orlando in the Southern League. And, uh, you know, and plus the guys who were added were like Wiley veterans, Chili Davis and Bedrosian and Pally Rulo. And, and they, they didn't need a cheerleader. They didn't need that guy. They just, you know, they needed a guy who knew his stuff and, you know, when Chili showed up, he had Gladden telling him that uh, just listen to DK, you'll be you'll be fine. And uh, his uh, 
his communication was uh, fairly straightforward, but it always made sense if he were willing to listen. He obviously had much less success with the later group, which uh, kind of a more of a more of a different, little different generation that uh, didn't uh, didn't take it quite the the professionalism part of it quite as seriously sure. as that for those first two groups did. But yeah. uh, here's the other thing. Bottom line with DK, always pitchy. I talked to him the other day. He was telling me how his neighbor was complaining these twins can't hit, and DK was saying, no, Pete, don't worry about it. The pitching's the problem. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the hitting. The hitting will be fine. The pitching is the problem. And TK's uh, TK's uh, theory of playing baseball was always uh, who's pitching and can we have a do we have a chance against this pitcher? And he had a bunch of guys that just I mean it wasn't rah rah rah. It was straightforward and and he trusted him to go out and play hard and uh, you know they always. They always could catch the ball, and uh, yeah. it, to me, to him, pitching and catching the ball were always the two most important things. I got to talk to uh, Big Train yesterday for the show, Pat. We taped an interview with Carl Willis, and he spoke on TK very highly, very glowingly. That yeah, he basically trusted. He knows you're a professional. He's a professional in his job. You know, go out and get it done. And he he said that when whenever he'd come onto the mound, TK wouldn't hand him the ball and say, "Go get a ground ball," or you know, "Do this, do that." You know, he'd say, do your best. And Carl said that always set him at ease. And he took that into his own career to say, yeah, I don't need to overload a guy just before he goes out there. I just tell him, give it your best effort, because then what else is there? If if baseball's full of failure, and if, if you tried your best, you got to live with the results. That, that struck me from Willis. He said he remembers that all these years later. Uh, two things on that. I agree with that. He showed confidence in big train, and it also didn't hurt that he had a pound of Vaseline on the ball when he threw it. But uh, that was that – was, No, no comment from me, Pat. No he loaded comment. it up pretty good. Uh, but uh, I, I am very proud of the big train because that nickname uh, came from myself and Kevin Tappany. Uh, that Twins team had started off very poorly – I think the two and nine, and they might have been like three and eleven when the train when Willis got acquired. So Willis was sitting in the clubhouse one day in Detroit, and I was on the road trip. And uh, Tappany uh, said to me, he said, uh, uh, "Willis is over here tooting his own horn about uh, you know how he turned this team around. You know that it's him." And he says he's tooting his own horn, and he reached up and he pulled the train whistle down, you know, like Tappany okay. uh, did. And I said, he's the train. He's the train. And before, within a minute, we had named him the big train. And uh, then, of course, they won the World Series, and he became the big train. And I think if you look at baseball reference, that's now his nickname. Yeah. So, uh, Tappany and I uh, are the source of that uh, nickname, and, and he'll tell you that. <laughs> Next time you talk to him. Oh, yeah, I didn't get a chance to ask him, but Cleveland's in town next, so it'll be easy to follow up there. Oh, and, I wonder, is, is he staying in town waiting for the Indians? That's right. Or he have to fly back home? No, no, no. He'll stick around in the Twin Cities, it sounds like. Uh, his, his wife was able to meet him here for this big weekend, this this magical moment, and then he's going to stay put. The team comes and meets him here. Maybe just a little breather for that team that's kind of in a bit of a grind right now, to be yeah. honest. Great. Uh, another great guy. Another guy that go-to quote guy too yeah uh, there was 
there was uh i was uh lamenting uh, uh thank god we didn't have zoom back then oh <laughs> you might not have got that uh that uh what is it the famous marvin gay quote from jack morris heading into oh, game yeah. seven that was uh that was at twelve forty five at night in the interview room. And then Jack, how's it feel to be pitching game seven in the words of the in the immortal words of the late great Marvin Gay, let's get it on. I had to start rewriting when I <laughs> yeah. heard that one. Man, oh, hey, sorry for uh, outstaters, but I got to get this into the Metro deadline. That's uh, okay. preceding that uh, Game 7 performance. Uh, just uh, incredible confidence from Morris. And then, hey, Pat, I thought you might like this real quick. And uh, We've only got a couple minutes here, but uh, I brought this up to Carl as well. We talk about nowadays the modern pitcher getting penalized in the third time through the batting order, right? You're familiar with all this? Oh, yeah. That's why, why we hook guys so early now. Here's Jack Morris in game seven. Third time through, one for nine. They had a bunt single. Fourth time through, up to two for eight with an intentional walk and a ground into double play. Fifth time through, they were 0 for two in the top of the 10th, and then Gene Larkin and Dan Gladden took care of the rest. Yeah, as I always told Jack, man, you're a great winner. You accept victory extremely well. <laughs> right. yeah, but uh, when you, you lose, it, you're the biggest jerk I ever dealt with. He says, that's why I win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's Blackjack. But, yes, uh, he's a beauty. Uh, he's well, ours. He's ours, and uh, we wouldn't Not trade him. Not many guys we've only had here one year leave as a free agent. We don't care. You know? No. You come in and win the World Series for us, you can leave town and make more money, and we're, we're happy for you. That is just A-OK. Uh, yeah, fun to see everybody here at Target Field for the 1991 World Series reunion. Hey, Pat, it's been great catching up with you. I appreciate your time here this morning on Twins Today. Okay, sir. Thanks, Derek. Be well. That the voice of Patrick Royce, obviously legendary sports columnist here in the Twin Cities for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. And you can follow him on Twitter because he's made the great transition. Might be one of the best tweeters uh, of our generation as well. So uh, just grateful for Pat for that time and uh, certainly a guy who's had an outsized impact on my career. It's been fun reliving all of the memories of the 1991 World Series team here at Target Field this weekend. Um, boy, if you missed any of it, see if you can catch some of the stories, some of the videos, some of the highlights. Specifically, that Saturday ceremony when they got everybody out on the field pregame. Just get literally the red carpet rolled out, out from uh, left center field there. And so many members of that 91 club walked out to introduction and uh, just a special night at the ballpark. And then, oh, yeah, the Twins won 12-0 against the Rays. So we're back on the horse of uh, winning games before this show. I don't know how many Twins players are actually aware of that, but it's something that exists in my head, maybe my head only. So our thanks to Pat for uh, joining the show and the host of other great guests we had. Got to catch up with Carl Willis, the big train, who you just uh, heard the genesis of that nickname there. Joe Ryan called in earlier, uh, hopefully future twin, but uh, he is a prospect that came over in the Nelson Cruz trade, kind enough to give us some time. And, of course, former AL Manager of the Year and Baseball Hall of Famer Paul Molitor joined the show earlier. My thanks to all our great guests today and to you, dear listener, for listening. We'll catch you next week on Twins Today. You're listening to News Talk 830-WCCO.
You have been listening to Twins Today, driven by the Mauer Auto Group, more than cars. This has been a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network.